This is The Lack with Helen Rollins, Benjamin Studebaker, and Nina Power. Today, we're doing Ingrid Goes West. I'll kick us off. Ingrid Goes West came out in 2017. It stars Aubrey Plaza as the title character. Ingrid is a lonely person. She doesn't fit in. We learn that her mother has recently died. With no friends and no remaining family, Ingrid becomes dependent on a parasocial relationship with an influencer named Charlotte. Charlotte comments on one of Ingrid's pictures, and Ingrid develops an obsession. When Charlotte declines to invite Ingrid to her wedding, Ingrid uses the pictures on Instagram to hijack the wedding and spray mace at her. After a stint in a mental institution, Ingrid becomes focused on another influencer named Taylor. Taylor lives in Los Angeles. Ingrid decides to use her mother's inheritance to move to L.A. She abducts Taylor's dog so that she can return it. Taylor has no idea how the dog got lost. She's so grateful to Ingrid for finding the dog that she invites Ingrid over for dinner. Further social engagements follow. It all seems to be going well until Taylor's brother, Nicky, makes a surprise visit. Nicky doesn't like Ingrid from the start, and eventually he gets hold of her phone. Going through the phone, he discovers evidence of Ingrid's obsession with Taylor. Nicky knows that Ingrid inherited a big chunk of cash. He blackmails her hoping to obtain the inheritance money. Along the way, we meet Ezra, Taylor's husband, a painter whose paintings don't sell. Ezra wants to be a real artist, but his paintings aren't going anywhere. Is it because Ezra doesn't promote his work? Is it because the vulgar L.A. art scene has no appreciation for his work? Is it because Ezra's work just isn't very good? It's not clear to him or to us. For what it's worth, I think it's all of the above. Ezra has a flip phone. He clearly doesn't think much of what his wife does. This invites us to ask why he's with Taylor. At one point, Ezra suggests that he's a fraud, that he's not a real artist. Nikki suggests that Ezra would think more highly of the L.A. art scene if it featured his work. Ezra denies this, but the suggestion angers him enough that he storms out of the room. As Ezra continues to struggle commercially, he leans on structural explanations for his lack of success. He copes in part by looking down on his wife and her vulgar tendency to market herself and her affiliated brands online. It's a cope, but that doesn't make him wrong per se. Neither of these people is particularly sophisticated or interesting. In that respect, they're made for each other. We also meet a guy named Dan. Dan likes Batman, and he's a bit of a white knight. He shows up whenever the movie needs to give Ingrid something that doesn't make sense for her to have. Ingrid borrows Dan's truck to help her solidify the friendship with Taylor. To explain away Dan's idiosyncrasies, she claims the truck belongs to her boyfriend. Of course, Taylor then wants to meet Dan, and this forces Ingrid to make Dan become her boyfriend. Dan goes along with Ingrid because the plot demands it. She treats him terribly, repeatedly, but because his aid is necessary to advance the plot, Dan sticks around. I suspect the writers made him a Batman fan in part to explain why he sticks around even when doing so makes precious little sense. Batman's pseudo-Kantian code never made much sense, and the same goes for Dan's choices. When Nikki blackmails Ingrid, Ingrid pays a guy to hit her. She tells Dan that Nikki is the one that hit her, and somehow persuades him to help her kidnap Nikki. The kidnapping goes south. Both Dan and Nikki get hurt, though both eventually recover. Predictably, Nikki then tells Taylor all about the obsessive things he found on Ingrid's phone. Taylor decides the situation is creepy and cuts Ingrid out of her life. Ingrid grows increasingly miserable, and eventually she tries to kill herself. That's where the movie ought to end. Unfortunately, somebody lacked the guts to go through with the haunting ending that was there for the taking. Instead, Ingrid is saved by Dan, and she wakes up to discover that she's trending online. Apparently, everyone on the internet really loves her now. In a desperate bid to find a happy ending, the film glamorizes suicide. It fails badly, though I think it fails in an interesting way. At its core, this film fundamentally misunderstands the banality of Ingrid. Lots of people want to be friends with people they know from the internet. These days, parasocial relationships are the norm, not the exception. Some people pursue parasocial relationships because they're lonely, and some people pursue them as a means of networking, building up their own followings and careers. These motivations aren't mutually exclusive, and there are a lot of lonely people with large networks they've cultivated for career reasons. 
It is depressingly common for people to seek attention online with videos that cry for help, and it is not altogether uncommon for people to threaten suicide, or even to make videos depicting ostensibly suicidal acts. A goodbye video is not especially likely to go viral. There are just too many of them, and Ingrid's wasn't anything special. In the United States, almost one-fifth of high school students consider attempting suicide. Almost 9% make at least one actual attempt. That's just in high school, never mind people in their 20s. In America, being depressed and anxious is common. Filling that void by consuming media is common, and developing weird fixations on various micro-celebrities is not out of the ordinary. What is weird about Ingrid is the fact that her parents are dead, giving her access to an inheritance. This gives her the economic means to pursue these relationships further than most people can. The number of people who can move to Los Angeles and make befriending their favorite internet celebrity their full-time job excuse me, is not large, to put it mildly. One of the things that makes liberal democracies so weird is the fact that so much of the wealth still remains in the hands of generations that enjoyed access to completely different economic conditions. Because young people are indebted with little choice but to take whatever jobs are put in front of them, their ability to pursue insane internet rubbish is somewhat limited. Most will inherit nothing as the older generations blow through their money on health care and retirement costs. But for those few who do inherit, there will be a quiet private revolution. Suddenly it will be possible to do the things people think about but never actually do. Unfortunately, most won't come up with anything very interesting to do with the money. By the end of this film, Ingrid is broke, having spent every last dime chasing a pretend friendship with a supremely boring person. If life imitates art, it doesn't bode well. So, now let's see what Nina thinks. Nina, you're up. Yes, I thought, I agree with you, Benjamin, that there's something kind of failed about this film, even though in some ways it's not bad and it's always pleasant to watch Aubrey Plaza, she's, uh, it struck me today as I was walking around one of these pretentious supermarkets that, um, there is something very, uh, Gen X about her in a, even though she's clearly a millennial, uh, she's more like in the continuum with somebody like, um, Daria or these sort of sarcastic 90s sort of, um, slightly gothy, slightly undecidable, uh, um, ironic, uh, female characters that, that we also had in a lot of 90s media. Um, and I think that's maybe something of her appeal. She, she's very good at kind of flipping between the, uh, you know, the genuinely disturbed kind of pouty stalker, you know, with dark thoughts and the, when she, she has the transformation because she goes to the hairdresser that the, uh, t that Taylor goes, has mentioned in some kind of lifestyle-y, uh, uh, story and she she has a transformation she becomes like an LA blonde or, or with highlights or something like this and she, you know of course of course she's also well she is very beautiful right she's a very beautiful woman but but you know this she's very good at flipping between these these modes so in that sense it's a it's a pleasure to watch this film right it's quite lighthearted um it reminded me of uh various other stalker uh type things there was a series on Netflix that was quite uh, quite poor. I think it was called something like me or something like this, where it was just like this, this man was kind of stalking women, uh, but using social media as this kind of, uh, uh, you know, very, like making the point in a certain sense that it's extremely easy to, in fact, track somebody if you become obsessed with them. And, uh, you know, even in my my micro notoriety, I, I feel like sometimes you can ride the waves of madness depending on the messages I get that day from random strangers, you know, some of which are like quite deranged. Um, and you start to imagine that there is this kind of, uh, I don't know, uh world within a world you know this is the kind of fantasy i suppose of the of the internet and that you can have precisely these parasocial relationships that uh, you know i mean in a way this film was naive um by virtue of the fact that it still retains a commitment to the to to the real relationship if you say i mean you know the parasocial re relationships are are only means to an end for for the uh ingrid um if you see what i mean whereas the true horror would be the uh the marrying your ai girlfriend 
right? It would be the 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 parasocial as end in itself, which would be the kind of J.G. Ballard t- um, type story where he basically predicts the invention of the Zoom family, um, where you know artificial insemination happens at a distance and you never actually meet your family and everything is conducted for a screen. Uh, I posted it up on my website during the lockdown. Um, and so in that sense, it's kind of old fashioned. It, it's almost like a, a romance. And I, I think there isn't enough, or at least for me, uh, psychoanalytically, maybe for Helen as well, about, or for Benjamin too, sorry, <laughs> but about uh, the relationship, let's say, between uh, the Ingrid's uh, relationship with her mother, her then parasocial relationships with these women. You know, there there is not really enough kind of backstory about any kind of sort of fundamental trauma, at least. Um, and it doesn't go nearly dark enough, I think, Um you know, you you kept you keep sort of expecting Ingrid to maybe I don't know make a pass in some disturbing way or do something like really creepy when her you know the woman is asleep or you know steals. I mean, she sort of steals things, but she really only steals pictures primarily, and then she's kind of blackmailed because the the sort of evil cokey brother realizes that that she is a bit obsessed, but she's not really obsessed enough in a certain way. Like this film could have been much more, much much darker um and then i think you know the parable at the end as you say the the film benjamin continues uh to sort of uh as if to say oh but any attention is good attention so the fact that she's a minor celebrity after the suicide attempt is is i mean in a way it's supposed to be sent back to the audience right it's like ah you too are also complicit in this horrible machine of attention and and so on but but it's kind of it's sort of left ambiguous, but not in a good way, like not in a particularly interesting way. Um, and uh, this question about negative and positive attention, and I think the difference between the real life affection and loyalty and bonds, and, and you know, you could go a lot further with, I think, the unmasking. And of course, we all know, let's say, that Instagram lifestyle people, and by the way, let me just say the most famous person who ever went to my comprehensive school is Zoella, who is a uh, a lifestyle, I don't know anything about this <laughs> this person, She she's much younger than me. She, she went to my school, according to Wikipedia and various people in the town that <laughs> near, I, near where I grew up and she so and she's literally like one of these lifestyle vloggers I think maybe not even I don't know on Instagram or TikTok or, TikTok or whatever she maybe she's maybe she's probably out of date now she's probably kind of you know geriatric in this kind of you know terrifying world but um in any case um these sort of strange worlds in which you have people you've never heard of who've got millions of followers and they're sort of selling a lifestyle thing. I was actually in Clapham the other day, which is a uh, home of, 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 no offence, Helen, the blonde, long-haired London woman. <laughs> that well, everywhere, I'm not for London, so I don't, no, I don't take I it as But I know but, what you mean. <laughs> if you, every time I go to Clapham, it's like you're going to have the train or the bus. And, and literally, like every other person <laughs> is a long-haired blonde woman. You're like... Why do they all live here? Anyway, um, but I literally saw, I was sitting down having a coffee in a cafe outside and it was a beautiful sunny day. I literally saw uh, one of these Instagram people. I, she's probably famous. I don't know, micro famous. And she was doing all of the poses, like with a milkshake and wearing, you know, wearing a dress and sort of, I don't know, like touching her hair. And then she was standing in the doorway and, and she changed her dress and, you know, she and, and she was literally doing those photos that market a lifestyle and I was like just looking at her going like wow and she and she was sort of conventionally pretty she'd obviously brushed her hair that morning which is more than most of us (laughs) frankly um you know she 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 had a certain whatever (laughs) light-hearted youthful but but not very threatening like she wasn't kind of hardcore sexy she was kind of you know just about five percent beyond uh girl next door (laughs) pretty or something you know so it has to be attainable enough that's the thing it can't you can't be a kind of 
severe cosmic vamp because that would just be, you know, impossible. You, I don't know, Dita Von Tees or something. It's not an attainable thing, but it's not even attainable for her, right? That's an old reference as well. But so, so it's like selling back like the slightly filtered version of the fantasy life, right? Okay, and we all we all know that that's a sort of this aspirational, you know, fake utopian thing, uh, and the treadmill of images and and I, and I think the. <sighs> Uh, I don't know how, how to put it. The the kind of the darkness that would be required to sort of explore something like Ingrid's libidinal investment, right, in that image in relation to the death of her mother would make it a much more interesting film, for example. Like, what is the sexual dimension of this? Like, it, men are instrumentalised here for her. She just uses the the, the guy... Who's actually quite sweet, and of course they, you know, they sort of have romance, and even though she sort of rips him off, nearly kills him, and whatever, just you know, narcissistically, violently abuses him, he turns up at the end to sort of, you know, tell <laughs> tell her she's she's famous or almost dying, and yeah, in that in that sense, it's a sort of um, it's sort of dark, but in the way that like a puddle is dark. You know, rather than a sort of black ho- black hole is dark. I don't know if black holes are actually dark. Maybe they're not anything. But um, so I quite liked it, but I I think it could have been, you know, heavier in a in a in a better way. All right. Well, this was Helen's pick, so she gets to was go it last. Pick? It was my pick. Was it my pick? I guess it no, was. No, it, was, it, it, it was, was. It was a compromise pick because the thing that I wanted to. Screen, I couldn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, we're not counting that as Helen's so, pick. Well, we can count it as my pick. I don't mind. But it was, it was, we were going to talk about the <laughs> humble brag on the B side. So this oh, yes. was like, no, no, this is to lead up to it, right? Well, we could, we could do the hunt next week then, maybe. I've already we'll done this an, an at the end. episode I, on the hunt. We'll get into <laughs> this at the Sorry. end. In the meantime, Helen has to give us okay, her, right. thoughts, uh, um, her thoughts on this movie. <laughs> Yes. So I, I also I had a, um, some thoughts, but also want to follow on um, with what you guys have said, because I think there's a lot of pertinent things that you, you said. Um, you're right. It is sort of like a little bit of a ditty. It doesn't really it's entertaining. It's chortle funny. And then it does fold back into sort of some slightly kind of ideological um, ending, which I've noticed a lot about like um, satire and well, a form of social satire that we see now that it kind of goes there and then it doesn't. So I was watching The White Lotus the other day, um, just as a, you know, in the background, I've seen it before. And I remember the first time feeling like really enjoying the first bunch of episodes and then sort of feeling like, oh, towards the end. And I sort of felt that again in that I feel like often what results is instead of you have, um, you know, an oppositional um, system that is critiqued, with sort of humor that is contradict that plays upon contradiction and then it folds back into a new form of opposition in that case sort of a form of orientalism um it's like meta orientalism because it kind of does critique orientalism but then it does the same thing um but yeah and it's the same thing here as you guys both very eloquently pointed out of a critique of um uh this sort of vacuous culture and then somebody gaining fame for no reason at all. Um, but it, rem- it reminded me a little bit about a film that we really should do sometime, um, which is kind of quite a, um, a small film called The Page Turner that came out in 2006 in France about um, a girl who is wronged by a pianist at a, an interview for her and uh, entering a music school and then gets her revenge. And I often think about how easy, as you pointed out, Nina, how easy it is to find people online now. And if you wronged somebody, if you wronged somebody, uh, a customer service call person, they could very easily find it, you know, and, and do anything. So it's quite amazing that more isn't done. You know, that there's still this sort of public-private barrier in that our information is so readily accessible to, to anybody. Um, obviously, this, the title of this film, uh, Ingrid Goes West, it pays on the Go West idea, the Go West fantasy, the sort of uh, California gold rush. And obviously, today's gold rush is this completely vacuous thing, uh, which even more than the all that glitters is not gold, gold rush idea is um, completely random and kind of senseless, but it's senseless in its sense. And I think you pointed on uh, this, Nina, that like, a lot of what is required to become internet famous is precisely not to be too um, out there, inaccessible, 
to um, play upon the fantasy that it could be you, that you could win the lottery, that you in all your normalness. And this is a lot of a lot of ideology. And we see this in the media today plays upon um, one's normalness, but not it's it's one's um, specialness in one's normalness. So it's not like accepting that you are um not special in your weirdness because everybody is weird and through their weirdness is not special, but rather in their normalness becomes special. So you see a lot of, um, you know, this was, this is a theme that comes up in from, you know, potentially girls onwards, um, you know, the, the kind of crude base, um, you know, sex lives of a normal girl, somebody who's not very talented, somebody who's not very, you know, and that, that, and yet they're special. But I think psychoanalytically, you know, not that psychoanalysis is the answer to everything, but, you know, Freud might say that the opposite is true, that you are special. Everybody is this unique cluster of cells, but in your specialness, you are normal. Um, but yeah, and, and part of the, part of the way that, um, this gold rush operates is that it, it could be you. Um, and it's also as well, as you point out, Nina, this, this um, churn through, this perpetual churn of new people. I have actually a lot of friends who are YouTubers and they become, you know, geriatric within a few years. And this sort of the old generation now are in their late 30s, early 40s, and people who are sort of 35 are like, you know, you know, the Shane Dawson's and things like that. But, you know, there is this, I don't know, one, one woman, the most viewed video on TikTok is this Bella Poarch woman who does this. Um, she mouths to this song, M to the B, which is this um, uh, this girl who's like 16 years old from Grim, uh, from Blackpool or something, was involved in like a um, this scene, I think this sort of rap scene. Um, and they would send diss tracks to each other in like different groups in different places in Yorkshire. And then like um, this one randomly became viral on TikTok and people. Might, but, but the point being is this normal girl becomes this extremely famous person. And obviously people, you know, will do. There's a huge meta kind of um, uh, parasocial um, industry around why is she famous? What is it? What is this object pretty yeah, that she has or has not got? And um, people sort of critiquing it and getting jouissance from critiquing the fact that she doesn't deserve it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but talking about jouissance and, you know, obviously there's been yet another shooting or however many shootings in the last couple of weeks in America, but obviously this, um, the rise in social media is, um, you know, uh, concomitant with a decrease in civil civil society, and obviously is related to the the, the breaking down of, of true relationships, of this kind of um, interpersonal fabric of society, and increase in loneliness and alienation. And the terrorist, you know, whether they are um, a religious fundamentalist or um, a political fundamentalist. Uh, is motivated in um, an extreme desire to cancel the jouissance of the other. And of course, social media is about um, portraying in a certain way. I'll come on to the ideology, I think, of social media in a second, because it's a kind of a game you have to play of um, showing your enjoyment and uh, being confronted with the other's enjoyment is very um, troubling um, and has led to things like, I know that in Florida, one of the new laws that's coming up is a law that prevents people from playing music too loudly in their car because um, it's actually very disturbing for people to be confronted with the other person's enjoyment. And often this can lead to a reactionary uh, response, which is trying to ban or eradicate that show of enjoyment and desire and what have you. So, um, the terrorist is, in a way, a um, an anti-social media figure. But part of the reason why we were, we kind of were talking about this film because we're going to talk about um, this idea of the humble brag on the B side. So I thought I'd do a little bit of a drip feed of what we're going to talk about, and I'll say that because I think this is um, what I have to say about this is the very particular way in which you must show your enjoyment on social media, and the humble brag relates to. Um, how meritocracy and um, the contradiction of meritocracy um, we need, must be handled um, sort of dishonestly. And I realise this because I say this all the time, the term annoyment. I was trying to work out what 
what my annoyment was for. for. And I say, oh, I get so much annoyment from something. And I realized it is the social media humble brag. A friend of mine claims that every single social media post is a humble brag. And I think structurally, <laughs> there's maybe an element of truth to it. But we see, and what we'll talk about on the B side is very specific um, humble brags that emerge in a very specific economic stratum related to social media. And I, this is what gives me my annoyment. It is the professional humble brag, but uh, I'll save that for later. All right. Well, that was interesting. I kind of, I want to make a little bit of a provocative point. I think since COVID, and especially as people get older and aren't regularly going to schools or universities with other students um, and are increasingly working from home. I, I want to make the provocative argument that most new relationships that adults have are parasocial. Most. Yeah. I mean, this is where the film is, is, is old fashioned, right? And I know it's from a few years ago now, but it, but in that way, it's kind of horrible how fast things have progressed or regressed <laughs> in that regard. So, so I agree. So, I mean, now you read about people who have re relationships in heavily inverted commas, not only with their fellow employees at a company they've never even set foot in that probably doesn't even have an office. Um, you know, uh, whilst, whilst having a long distance relationship with someone in another country uh, on Zoom. And now, coincidentally, all of the airlines are failing and you can't actually kind of get anywhere. And it looks like the elites are going to shut down travel for, for everyone else uh, whilst keeping their private jets. Um, uh, so you, you can't actually have real life relationships unless you've already managed to uh, capture another animal in your pen. Yeah. You know? But this is um, this is highly dangerous because when relationships exist on this fantasy level, and obviously parasocial relationships are fantasy relationships, which you're never confronted with the other of the other. I mean, you always are to a certain extent in a symptom, but often you that you don't, for various reasons, like take a full grasp of it, and like in in a you know love. Technically, love versus romance. Tom McGowan writes about this a lot in Capital and Desire. You know, like that romance is this kind of ideological dimension of investment in the other, where the other is this object um, of wholeness and completeness that isn't real. But when you actually have, you know, proper uh, relationships with people, and I'm not saying this isn't possible. Let's say you're working with somebody and they disappoint you immensely, you know. But then, but then they can become like the reverse fantasy, where they become the scapegoat, for instance, that you, you don't confront what's what's actually you know uh, useful and good about a person. But and and to be a person is to be like complex and contradictory, and to not everybody is an exception to the rule. So the point being is that like it's highly dangerous, and this does tie to the terrorism angle to be perpetually confronted with a fantasy version of other people because other people need to disappoint you in order to not um, feel, get really tied up in this ideology of promise crap. Yeah, I mean, just on this point, and obviously you mentioned the recent shooting um, and uh, my friend uh, Daniel posted a very uh, interesting quote from the late, great um, Bernard Stiegler from his collection Acting Out, where he talks about the um, the desire, uh, and it relates to the kind of social media question, the desire for a kind of recognition. And I suppose we're used to that particular argument, but it kind of goes deeper. And I just wanted to read some of this quote, if you don't mind, from, from Stiegler. Um, where he, he writes, the violence and insecurity in which we live, as much as they are as they are exploited to the point of fantasy or even deliberately manipulated, engage above all a question of narcissism and result from a process of loss of individuation. It is a matter of narcissism in the sense of someone like Richard Dern, who is a a, a French uh, killer, somebody who I think went into a council office and, you know, kill, uh, unusual in France, but, you know, occasionally they don't all happen in America. Um, uh, okay. And, th and this is the point that I think is really important, right? So somebody like this guy who's, you know, went in and uh, killed lots of people, shot lots of people, who suffered terribly from not existing, from not having, he said, a feeling of existing. When he looked in the mirror, he saw only an immense nothing. This was revealed by the publication of his diary in Le Monde. Dern affirmed that he had a need to, quote, do evil at least once in his life to have the feeling 
of existing. Uh, and I think there's something in the, the kind of unreality that's promoted by precisely the fantasy of the parasocial, by video games. I, I managed to watch a couple of the music videos made by the, the guy who's accused of the shootings in, um, well, well, not, not that far from where Benjamin is. Highland uh, Park. It's a Highland Park. wealthy suburb of Chicago. Yeah, it's like one state over from where you are, right? And maybe the guns came from your state. <laughs> Quite possible. Clear. Lots of guns in in, Chica in the Chicagoland area come from Indiana. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I watched a couple of his videos and they're very disturbing, but not quite in the ways that you would think. I mean, this is somebody who's looks, you know, a bit strange, is obviously making himself look strange through a use of tattoos and, 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 and his appearance. And but also there is something and he's making videos about social media and about dissociation and about uh, freedom. He, he sings a song about freedom, ironically. You know, and it's all about checking your phone, and you know, it's it, they're very, very disturbing. I mean, the boy, the boy is sorry, the the man is is, um, it, you know, he's not okay, and you don't know whether it's because he's on anti, you know, legal or illegal drugs, or because he's just very mentally ill or very dissociated. But there's something so profoundly, uh, gone wrong in this not existing way. Um, and it's clear that this person, like many millions of people, are obsessed with a virtual life a life that is online whether it's in terms of seeking fame or playing computer games or having interactions that are not uh physical not proximate not intimate not familial not you know any mm -hmm. of those things that we would associate with a meaningful in in the sense that helen is talking about which means difficult which means it's having to confront the failure and disappointment <laughs> of the other and also yourself in relation to the other on a near daily basis. And it's, it's, it's so important that that happened because, well, we're talking about recognition, right? So if this guy that you mentioned, whose um, diary is published in the Le Monde, like recognition is only possible insofar as you ex you're seen in the eyes of somebody who is lacking themselves. If they aren't lacking, they are not human beings, so they don't have subjectivity. And therefore, recognition doesn't occur unless somebody is a human subject, which means they are divided. So there's that. You don't get recognition. You will not feel that you exist unless you exist in the eyes of the other who is divided. This is why one of the resulting anti-symptoms of psychoanalysis is that you stop having to narrativize your life. And this is something, I mean, in the media that is such a thing you're told to permanently like sell yourself and sell a narrative when you're a startup. You know, these days you have to have the story, our story. So psychoanalytically, you actually stop having to feeling the need to have a story for yourself because you feel like you exist already and you kind of make sense to yourself because you go through this process of um, being in the presence of somebody talking to the other, whom you believe is whole and complete, perhaps at the start of the um, process, at least unconsciously, you come to discover that they are divided and it's only in their divided subjectivity witnessing you that you come to feel yourself as existing and you don't need to sort of justify yourself. And obviously, you know, social, social media is a, is a story. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's personal spin in a way. There was something else that I was thinking when you talked about this um, shooter and of course, there've been so many shootings in America that it like it becomes hard to keep track of. But there was one, I believe, last year or at least recently, maybe a couple of years ago, where the shooter also had been releasing music videos. Um, and there's something about potentially with himself in them performing. Um, and they were, I, I, I don't know if you can still watch them. I can't even remember any details about the person other than I remember watching the videos. Um, and it's interesting this this internet fame, you know, that there is a there is a, a lunge for recognition potentially in these acts. Now there used to be a conceit that music was doing something artistic, and I think now largely when people make pop music, that that conceit is um, it, it's largely been dropped it continues to be asserted but it's largely been dropped most of the people who are going into pop music now straightforwardly are pursuing fame or money uh, or, or recognition of some sort it, it's hard for anybody to think that they're doing it to make art at this stage 
I, I wanted to raise another, another point. And we talk about the parasocial and connection to people who really have quite o- overt, serious social problems. But it seems to me that the professional class as a whole engages in the parasocial more than the workers do, in part because parasocial jobs are easier to remote because they tend to be white collar, behind the computer, email oriented jobs. And it strikes me that a lot of the professional networking that goes into the relatively high prestige media, entertainment, academia, those kinds of, of professional careers, a lot of that networking now occurs over Twitter. It does, yeah. And a lot of people are meeting each other or establishing relationships with colleagues over Twitter. Mm-hmm. And that is, of course, a parasocial way of starting up a relationship with a person. And I wanted to point out, while Helen and Nina have, have met, and it was wonderful and a kind of ecstatic thing when they finally met, all of our relationships began in a parasocial way, didn't so they? True. I mean, we all saw each other's <laughs> output decided that we liked it and then you know somewhere along the way somebody messaged somebody and said hey do you want to come and and talk to me (laughs) which is is the parasocial dynamic it's i'm a fan of you will you engage with me but this is how we we all do it now everybody invites everybody on to everybody else's thing everybody invites everybody to write for everybody else's thing Mm -hmm. nobody meets anybody no, and but it's it's interesting. I was talking with my my friend Pierre today about, you know, I, I guess precisely what Helen's talking about the necessary and uh, ineradicable antagonism and difficulty of social life, especially when you're sort of intimate and extimate with with people uh, around you, like you know, friends that you love and and people that you live with or whatever. And, and um, you know, I I I wonder if if part of that in real life is often like a, a kind of um, sometimes a sort of testing where someone acts like a bit of a dick in order to see what the limits of the friendship are, right? And I'm not suggesting this is a good thing, but I do, I do think this is things that pe- this is something people do, <laughs> including myself. And I definitely have friends who do it almost constantly <laughs> when they meet someone new because they're highly, highly disagreeable. And this is like a tactic of the disagreeable person where they, they <laughs> you know, they either say something so... Um, I, I don't know, provocative, but like, wor- you know, worse than provocative, like socially transgressive or downright rude or offensive or like directly personal or, or ask someone a really, really like unpleasant question or, or, you know, something like this. But I but I think it operates in real life as a kind of interesting test, which probably most people would fail and want to fail because why would you want to be friends with someone who's a fucking asshole? But at the same time... <laughs> Um, it, it's, I don't know how to, how to put it I, in the parasocial, like all of those sorts of things to do with like the unconscious and mimesis and envy and the Girardian normal stuff of life, right? You know, you, you see your friend, you love your friend. They look good. You feel, let's say they look better than normal. You're, you're happy for them. You're like, oh, wow. You know, X, you look great today. You know, have you lost weight? And, and, and sometimes you can be a backhanded little bitch about it, right? <laughs> like you can be really funny and you look that, like a slut the, that happens yeah, a lot, or whatever yeah. like, <laughs> like, you look like a slut. no but and i know you know and 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 i suppose it's almost shizakin it's like you know when you you know you're friends with someone the moment you can yeah. offend them i suppose yeah. it's the simple way of putting it and it's and it's like can parasocial relationships if you never meet in real life cross some of those thresholds in the same way i it's difficult and i and i i think Psychoanalytically, I've 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 even done that to you both, right? Very explicitly by being a fucking asshole, at least on one memorable occasion. Um, <laughs> and I, but I think, I, but I honestly, this is not to justify by the way any of the, any form of horrible behaviour. But I I think there is something about the desire to actually uh, test is maybe the wrong word, but put something at stake that is meaningful to to make a relationship or relationships deeper which mm-hmm. is difficult to achieve in the para in the parasocial well it's interesting well, it as well. also it. it also requires that you have an access uh, you you have to have a surplus of of people and social possibility 
to risk relationships in that kind of way and mm-hmm. to say, okay, well, let me see if you're actually somebody that I really want to be friends with. If you're mm-hmm. really lonely, then you don't have the capacity to do that because you need whatever connections mm-hmm. you can possibly get. And that forces you to be incredibly fake as the main character is in this film, incredibly fake all the time. And we see this in networking where everybody is desperate to be liked. Now, here, the loneliness coincides with and intersects with the precarity of the professional class career, where a, an important strategy that a lot of people use to try to hang on, especially in the arts where they're very uncertain about whether their work is actually good, is by establishing relationships with, with people that are popular and are secure and in post uh, and to try to leverage those relationships so that the security that they project those people as having can be theirs as well. And so in those networking relationships, it's incredibly sycophantic. People are saying incredibly Mm -hmm. wonderful things about one another's work because they want to be liked, because they hope it is really true that the other's work is that popular so that they can be friends with someone who is that established so that that can rub off on them and help them to secure their own position. And so in it's it's not just the most vulnerable, miserable, lonely, you know, might be a mass shooter person who has to do this. It's the most affluent, most professional person who has to engage in the same behavior. And so there's a commonality between the the craziest person, the person that we see as the most antisocial and the most over socialized person. Mm -hmm. But this is why everybody should be cancelled, like at at a certain point, because everybody if everybody goes through that experience, then nobody will have to be lonely in the same way. And nobody will have to pretend to be successful in the same way. And everybody will basically be the same kind of flawed or lacking. We are and then all we could... already cancelled, right? Y- yes. But of course, well, cancelling is only is... consequences, Nina. It's not cancelling. What are you talking about? Well, oh, yeah, it, sorry. It's the economic <laughs> aspect then. So, you know, then yeah. what, is, what becomes the economic base for making this kind of work? Mm-hmm. Can I just say the one very funny thing about this film was just how bad the boyfriend's art was. It was unbelievably funny. Whoever came up with the yeah, idea, it was it was good. so so funny. This is, I mean, it's almost worth watching this film not just for Plaza, but for the 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 artwork made by the the husband or whatever of the influencer um, Ezra, where where he literally sort of uh, 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 emblazons gigantic. Uh, sort of cringeworthy hashtags over uh, sort of junk sale uh, paintings of running horses. And in a way, it, 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 it very almost reaches that sort of apex art where it's so bad, it's good. It's, it's you know, and because the Aubrey Plaza character wants so desperately to be liked, she, she of course, likes the art, right? But she doesn't like it because nobody likes it. And, and this is, uh, I think, very... That's done so well, I think. That it is. Done. I've definitely seen art like that on social media. Exactly. Like, un- exactly. But it's interesting because, like, in a way, the way that, that um, uh, Ingrid and um, Taylor meet, you know, it could, could, ha- could spark a friendship, right? You know, you finding someone's, I mean, obviously she's fake found the dog, but let's say she, the dog is lost and she's found it. That isn't, that isn't a way to meet people. But obviously this this little extra dimension is there and therefore means that the relationship is impossible precisely because Ingrid has um, bought into the lie that Taylor projects and therefore Taylor doesn't exist as a person in that relationship. So there cannot be a relationship. And this is also the problem, you know, I mean, this is love, right? Romance becomes love at the point where you realize you love the person despite the fact that they're a complete fucking idiot and they smell bad. And you're like, damn, damn, I love you. Fuck, this is such a waste of my time. (laughs) Damn. Um, And that's precisely like like romances. And so, you know, it's it's tricky and it's, it's, it, I don't know, we've obviously, I potentially all of us have had a relationship at a certain point where it can't work because one is so idolized. Pedestaling is the popular online term. And another thing that would have made this film better The relationship between Taylor and Ingrid is already beginning to disintegrate before the blackmailing with the brother. Mm -hmm. And I think the brother's injected into this plot to kind of accelerate the plot. Yeah. But 
if they had just allowed the fact that she clearly pedestals Taylor to slowly erode the relationship to the point where Taylor views her as too much of a sycophant, which was already occurring, I think the moment that Taylor starts uh, trying to confide in her and Ingrid responds by telling Taylor that she's perfect, from that moment, there is no real connection mm -hmm. because it's now clear that it's a very lopsided thing. And they could have just kind of slowly wound that down, but I, it would have been hard to make that really filmable. It's, it would have to be a kind of slow burn, mm. slow death thing. But, it's but a I weird think it would have been better. It's a weird version of the master-slave dialectic where the pedestalized person is the slave. <laughs> so, and, and, and it can't work. As into human relationships, it cannot work. I wanted to go back to what you were talking about, Benjamin, about um, the networking via Twitter. I mean, Twitter is where I don't have Twitter, but I will, I confess, look at certain accounts to get annoyment. And I, you know, God, it's such a thrill. Um, but um, but it, it is very much a thing to the point where young people entering in the film industry in the UK are given the advice to join Twitter. And it's sort of almost like this um, accelerated buildings Roman experience where you can access suddenly the 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 gatekeepers are accessible. And if you enter into some kosher banter that is ideologically sound uh, in a way that that plays with all of the dynamics that must be, must be touched upon on social media, you can get there quicker. It's kind of horrible. Well, yeah, and this is the difference. So yeah. <laughs> 20 years ago, you would send somebody an email and maybe if you were lucky, they might respond to you if your email was interesting. But here you can gradually, by replying to people in a little bit of a sycophantic way, worm your way in, or you can slide into the DMs. Or you can use the first to get to a point where you feel comfortable doing the second. And that's just a, a common expression at this point. Sliding into the DMs is something just about anybody might do. And it's, yeah, the a word lot of slide. dating relationships begin with sliding into the DMs. Do, do you think anyone has sex anymore? Like actual sex, you know, like people used to have? Some. <laughs> I'm not going to say it never occurs. Well. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, like, sex doesn't really exist in the first place, but it did sort of used to happen, nevertheless, even if it didn't exist. Like but now I, I think it doesn't bar, exist. Yes. If I went to a bar in Indiana, you yes. would find people there. And some of them would meet each other. But they'd be mainly working class people. If you're going to uh, a bar in Indiana and you're a professional, you're probably going there with people that you know. Are uh, you allowed to have sex with them? No. Well... <laughs> Not outside of Do an Do you know app. what has happened? It is the, it oh, is no. the return of the epistolary <laughs> relationship, except it's a really horrible, rapid response DM Oh, yeah, epistolary. like dangerous, dangerous liaisons, the best epistolary relationship ever. Well, Nina, Actually. do you know what it is based on dangerous liaisons? Cruel intentions. Oh, no. And we're oh, going to a write film. a girl boss movie. <laughs> a, a dangerous liaison slash... That's a secret. Cruel intentions for today. <laughs> um, yes. No, no, you're right. I mean, but it is the kind of the WhatsApp, the DM. But then you don't need to have sex, do you? And then if you go on a date with a dating app, I mean, via a dating app, then the app has sex for you, doesn't it? Because you don't oh, actually Yeah, because there's, there's, there's a Zizek joke where you just sort of both, you have your um, d two sex toys that do the... Whatever. But that's, what, just, it, that's it, what it is. It's yeah. like just put your phones next to each other and sort of like woohoo. And then, you know, you go home and go to bed and watch Netflix or something. I don't know. I'm oh, sorry. I'm being very. I don't know. There's what so much to say on this topic, but I'm not going to because <laughs> I draw a line. I think the true relationship is the one where you live with someone and you're very physically intimate with them, but you don't have sex with them. Um, I think this is Nina. You tell this sounds this, like uh, tell like this. Oh, wait, wait, yeah. that's marriage. That's marriage. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yes. Sounds like but the it, Phaedrus. But yeah, exactly. But I think this is correct. Plato is correct. Like, don't confuse the beauty of the boy with the boy. It's not the boy who's beautiful. It's beauty that's beautiful. 
Like the boy is just a distraction. Mm-hmm. You might as well cut to the chase and just have conversations. Um, <laughs> conversations are sex. Lacan says this. And, doesn't well, he make the joke? Nina, there's somebody that you need to talk to uh, very oh, much. No. <laughs> there's somebody you really? do need to talk to, and I will leave that. I, uh, this is the really fucking stupid thing about the parasocial, <laughs> because now I feel like I'm doing this stupid tease, but I'm never going to reveal this information because it's private and personal information. And then why am I leaving it as a tease other than to be like, Ha ha ha! Look at me. Like it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but also no. I don't, know something don't, you'd like to know. But don't, and I don't, you don't want even other know. I, I, I know nothing. Information. I don't know um, anything. But do you know what? I That's feel kind like of a humble also, brag. I, yes, I it have is. a secret. But do you know what? Okay, because I feel like this whole episode has been a tease for the B side. Because um, we never do that. We don't do the whole like you know. Some people on their podcast they like, leave a little fire. Helen, it sounds like you're going to be super gossipy and bitchy on the B side. It's going to be literally like an episode of Gossip Girl or something. Well, it could be. It could be. <laughs> but I'm too polite, so it won't. Um, oh. But I will. I will talk about it in theoretical terms, and then people can be left guessing even more what I'm talking about. This is what happens when we try to pair a film with a B-side topic. The film becomes a device for getting to the B-side. And that, I think, diminishes a little bit the value of the episode for the, the listeners who aren't subscribers. Well, there's yeah, a solution our, to that, Benjamin, our, isn't there? Our, our plebeian <laughs> audience, you know, the aristocrats on the B-side, but we've got the plebs listening to this one. Hello, all they my love, friends. They love to be, you know, but everybody loves a bit of a tease, don't they? I don't know if they do. Does anyone like being teased anymore? I think this being naughty has gone the way of the dodo. I mean, does the dodo even exist? Who knows? Did any fake news? I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, Benjamin, you mentioned sending an email twenty years ago, and I literally had to stop and pause and go, "Did email exist twenty years ago?" But of course it did. But how horrible! Like our entire conception of used time to be. Um, when I was at boarding school, people used to do their epistolary relationships via email, and it would be, a, mm. "Are you emailing? Oh, you're emailing." There was emailing going on a walk, and then some. Actually, no, it, t- it gets very dark after a certain point, so I won't go there either. Very, very dark. Boarding well, schools. All relationships get very dark. No, I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> in this place, it got very dark. But people would innocently email. I do a lot of email. Well, is an email innocent? You know, from a certain standpoint, it's not, is it? I think we should cease all communication with everybody. Yeah, I, yes, please. Do you know what there's I a so Really, the mistake was the telephone, wasn't it, Nina? No, the, the mistake was the stick. I keep telling everyone this. The first time someone picked up and used a stick, it's so obviously where everything goes wrong. It, it's um, so obvious. The um, well, humans are such a mistake. So I think it was where it is at a certain evolutionary point. <laughs> well, I speech, think we could have been, speech is such a mistake. Um, the, we could have been a contender. But but um, what was I going to say? I can't remember. But, no, but there was a certain point. Okay, the beginning of the fucking pandemic. I nearly lost it because there was so much communication. And I think um, you guys are aware that I um, I'm a responder. And I spend a lot of time responding, Ew. which I shouldn't Ew. do. I should be in. I should be That's in. Ignore word. And I, I respond. And at the beginning of the pandemic, because actually there was more human contact, but it was this horrible human contact that we weren't used to. You know, you can kind of you get used to anything, right? That's not good, but you can, to a certain degree, get used to things. And this, the parasocial, the only parasocial, suddenly it was like, oh, this is all the downside of human contact, and none of the like nice, pleasant, cozy upside. And at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a, a phase where, for some reason, everybody would message me about my opinion about some political thing in America, which I'm very unqualified for. But I think it's because a lot of my friends, I'm maybe one person who has a slightly different opinion to most of their liberal friends, but I'm also not a conservative. So, you know, but I felt like I was like an agony aunt. For a lot of people about certain things, and it was yes, it's okay to feel this about this. It's okay. That's a human emotion. You don't have to be like cancel yourself. Because Can I ask both of you a question? But yeah. Are you are you the kind of person who gets invited to weddings? Is there a kind of person who gets yes, invited? Yes, there to is, weddings? there is. Um, do you know what? I um, all of my um, teens and twenties 
I was in a certain uh, position where I was very drawn away from human friendships by certain things. So I am um, a, an acquaintance of many people and I have a very small personal friendship group. Very close, very small, very fraternal relationship with a bunch of people. And then I have many, many, many acquaintances. So I'm not the kind of person who is sort of friends with lots of people and sort of gets invited to, Mm. but I will be very intimate with a few people. But also I know a lot of people, but I'm not like close. So don't know if that Is that what this kind of person is? A person who is sort of friends with lots of people? So the person who gets invited to lots of weddings are people who have like my older sister who is a very 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 like she has this skill which I'm just so impressed by where she's like so good with people and she has lots of strong friendships she does she maybe has fewer of the extremely intimate friendships that I have but she has hundreds of close friends and I have very few very close friends and then I know a lot of people so she's the kind of person that gets invited to lots of weddings Mm. Mm. there's also the question of how big is your extended family because cousins tend to invite people to weddings that's true are you somebody who gets invited to lots of weddings Nina what do you think Helen no And I'm going to say because I think well, Nina's, your Nina's increasingly out of the age bracket for that but I think you're the kind no. of person whose friends don't get married yeah, both. I'm, I'm both the kind of person you don't invite to a wedding and all of my friends are so disagreeable that none of them will probably ever get married because they're all assholes. Uh, no, it, it, I, I, um, I exaggerate. But uh, I would say I, I, the older I get, the more I recognise these types of people, like the kind of person like your sister who, who is somebody who is like reliable and dependable and a medium-sized, very good friend to a number of people who are also themselves responsible, stable individuals who get married because that's still what responsible, stable individuals do. And uh, and then there are other people who are either for reasons of disagreeability, potential hysterical breaks, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it, it just general chaotic tendencies. Uh, both will not get married and will not be invited to weddings. And I, and I, I always find this question just like vaguely amusing to ask. Hmm. But it's but Benjamin's right that if you have a large extended family, this question is somewhat moot. But I have a very, very, very small actual biological family, so who, all of whom are at the end of their lines. Thank God. Although my brother has managed to reproduce. <laughs> yeah, the last that's an end. power. Line. The end to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I often end up going to cousins' weddings or, uh, you know, my girlfriend, she she has some friends who are in that, you know, ring, ring by spring kind of age bracket. So she's been invited to a few weddings on that basis. So I've ended up going to some of those. Hmm. The ring by spring thing is so... So bizarre. What does it really mean? I don't think I've ever even heard it. Oh, He's well, mentioned it loads, I- Nina. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it's, it's the idea that if you are graduating from uni, right? So you're you know, 22, you're American, you're graduating from uni. You need a ring by spring by oh, the time you, have, you graduate. Oh, you have said that before. Right, go yeah. But I have to say the yeah. other fact is I've, I'm always um, in places where I'm... How do I put this? I'm always on the outside. So for various economic and other reasons, I'm never in the place where lots of people I know are. And I also personally like to move around a lot. So I'm always either working away when someone's wedding is happening so I can't go or I live in Ireland and I have done for years and lots of people I went to uni with, for example, uh, live in London also, when I was at uni, I was away doing lots of other things, so I was never really there. So I, whilst I'm like, would consider people friends and acquaintances, there's always a sort of like an, an ocean that goes on between me and other people. Mm. But anyway, you ever notice that if you get invited to somebody's wedding and you don't go, it I almost always, always marks the beginning of the end. Does it? You have to work hard. I have to say, when you when a friend is. Married and you can't go, you have to, you don't have to, but I think it, it's, 
extra specially important too. I think it's nice to go to people's significant events if you can make the effort to do it. If you can, I think it's always nice. Yeah. Of course, some people have their weddings very far away across oceans and they want everybody to pony up and pay and go. And they can be very expensive. There should be more weddings in the ocean. That would be great. <laughs> at the bottom of the ocean, maybe? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> All right. Well, we're at the end of the hour, so we're going to have to wrap up. But we're going to go over to the B-side and talk about the thing that we've been saying we're going to be talking about <laughs> on the B-side. We have been very much hinting at it. So we're going to go and fulfill our promise. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.